ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and I am excited to talk about co-creation. Uh, we're going to be talking about a book called Co-Create, and it really is all about profiting from innovation and strategic collaboration, which are two of my favorite topics. Our guest today is David Knorr. David, welcome. Chickie, good to be with you. Terrific to have you. So, David, before we jump into the book, why don't you give us a little thumbnail on you? Oh, boy. Um, I am uh, originally from... That could be a big thumbnail, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I'm originally from uh, Iran. Uh, I came to the U.S. in 1981 with a suitcase, 100 bucks, didn't know anybody, and didn't speak a word of English. Uh, I literally landed at JFK with a badge around my neck, put this kid on an Eastern Airline flight to Atlanta, and and <laughs> by the way, he doesn't speak any English. So I came oh, here to go to school. Uh, I, I grew up in Atlanta. Uh, I, sometimes I feel like I work for the Chamber of Commerce because and, I've and moved away. And what year was that? 1981. Oh, wow. I've uh, moved away six times. I keep coming back. It's a great place to raise a family and, and build a business. But I've spent uh, most of my career, early career in technology, uh, mm-hmm. working for several tech companies and then uh, you know, started in engineering in, in uh, my education and in business and uh, fast forward several years, went to Emory University for the, the executive program and got recruited mm-hmm. as president of a startup company up in uh, New York, uh, raised a round of funding for that. We, we merged and exited that business and then I spent a number of years around the private equity world, and and Jackie, a really good opportunity to, and the genesis for my work really stems from those days of right. seeing uh, really functional teams take a mediocre idea to new heights. I've also seen dysfunctional teams take amazing ideas off a cliff. So, <laughs> so, so I said, there's got to be, oh, there's got to wow. be something more there, and and I started to pursue. Really, and, and my life's work has really been around, you know, strategic relationships, right? Why some people are much better at it than others. How do some people build amazing relationships that really accelerates their ability to get things done and others don't? Right. And uh, that's led to, uh, boy, uh, now 50, 60 global speaking engagements and mm-hmm. co-create is book number 10. And I do a lot of uh, executive coaching and work with leadership teams and their boards. Oh, David, how amazing. And and our paths have really kind of circled around one another. My daughter was born at, at uh, the hospital in Marietta. And oh, wow. I, I spent <laughs> uh, a, a good deal of time there, but I didn't arrive in Atlanta until uh, 1992, and we, we moved to Tampa in 2000. So, okay. <clears throat> But I have done an, uh, an enormous amount of work with the investment community, both on the private equity side and you know just really really the whole Wall Street environment of looking at publicly traded companies as well as uh, you know the private investment side. So I am really excited. I'm going to order your Entrepreneur's Guide to Raising Capital capital because I'm just launching my newest venture and we are actually going to go out and raise a little bit of money. So that's great. That's great. Yeah, yeah I, I uh, it's it's most. Uh, you and I both work with senior leaders, and, and I'm 
mesmerized of uh, about how entrepreneurs, right, the scrappy entrepreneurs kind of mm-hmm. make it happen every day. And, and and I get excited about what if we brought some of that tenacity? What if we brought some of that grit? Uh, what if we brought some of that perseverance inside our companies oh, and really create a, created a more entrepreneurship or entrepreneur kind of culture in these companies. So right. Well, back when I was doing, <clears throat> excuse me, back when I was doing consulting, I had a program called Injecting Entrepreneurial Energy because I, that's I think great. that's really what it is: is taking all of the business discipline that does mm. exist, right, and the tools and and the funding, right, to get sure. things done, but to take that scrappiness and and I, I love that word because I, I I'm pretty sure my pictures uh, in in the dictionary next to that. <laughs> but let's jump into the book. So what brought this book about? And I know you've written a number sure. of others, but why co-create? Yeah, so, so you know, a lot of friends uh, ask, you know, how long does it take you to write a book? And for me, uh, Chicky, it, it's, it's, a, it's a concept that, uh, you know, it has, the ideas have to percolate, right? So, so for me, it, it typically uh, starts with a question. And, and the question that, that really kind of nagged at me for, for a while was, you know, how is it possible? And I, and I was working with a number of very recognizable brands, and, you know, none of them saw Airbnb coming. None of them saw, you know, they're all worried about competing with each other, but they, they for whatever reason, the, the, and if you think of, uh, you know, how dominant Blockbuster was, and they didn't mm-hmm. see... You know, they didn't see really Netflix as a as a competitor. They didn't see Redbox as a as a competitor, and it just completely dwarfed their business. Right. So, so in thinking through, um, not just innovation, which is kind of sexy and everybody likes to talk about it, but 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 really iteration, innovation and disruption. If I'm your biggest competitor, how would I disrupt you? And that one question led me to ask a whole lot of questions from, from my clients, and I ended up interviewing about 100 or so executives. And, and, and the book I taught, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm the first guy to tell you that co-creation isn't for everybody because what's fundamental are really strategic relationships. What's fundamental are people that demonstrate, not just what they say, but they demonstrate a vested interest in your success. And actually, in the book, I call it the Jerry Maguire business model. Right? <laughs> so how do we focus on fewer but more real, more intentional, more strategic relationships to start thinking very differently about the evolution of our business? Does that, does that make sense? Does that resonate? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I love the marriage of these action words uh, in – the table of contents of your book, so the outline and structure of your book. So you talk about co-creating in, together, Mm. forward, Mm. through, ahead, upward, and away. And then then you lay out this co-create canvas, which I I love just the (laughs) practical approach that you've taken just in mapping this out for us. So let's start with that, that whole need to have this Step of introspection, because unless you realize where you yeah. are, you can't recognize that you need to go anywhere else, let alone no, take the right actions. No question, and you're very kind with your comments. You and I both read a lot of books. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I <laughs> scratch my head like, what, what does this author want me to go, or that's a great theoretical right. construct. How do I go apply it? I didn't want co-create to be, to be another one of those. So, 
you're exactly right. At at you know, end of each each chapter, there's a set of tools and there's a, a free workbook that folks can download from my website. And my intent was to create something practical and pragmatic. So you're right. I start with introspection. And, and I would submit that most of us don't make enough time to think. <laughs> think about it a second, right? We go from, you know, on that gerbil wheel. I mean, how many conference calls are you involved oh, in on yeah. a weekly basis? How many <laughs> meetings do we all go to? How many... By the same token, how many of us genuinely carve out half an hour, carve out a, an hour of quiet, peaceful time? Somebody said Sunday mornings when the wife and the kids are all asleep, right? Right. So, so I, we just don't make time to think. Because right. then if, and if you don't make time for that introspection, you really can't understand where you've been, what's worked, what hasn't worked, what's ahead. And, and, and I talk about this ability to adapt to disruption mm-hmm. because disruption is all around us whether it's a more nimble competitor or changing customer preferences we see it all around us we just don't invest enough time to think about what our response should be how should we pivot from what we're doing where we're going and how we plan to get there right right well and and this whole concept of adaptive innovation is innovation by its very nature isn't once and done that's exactly right, right. That's and, exactly right. And, you know, I mean, I, my, my entire consulting career was really focused on helping people differentiate themselves. And this is actually what forced me into becoming an entrepreneur because I got so frustrated that my clients who had very deep pockets and tons of resources to take any idea from concept, you know, to reality, and they wouldn't get off the dime, sure. right? And so I ended up having to do that. And, and again, as that scrappy entrepreneur, uh, your Chapter 3 is exactly where I had to start. All these strategic relationships, whether it be the people I've interviewed over the last 10 years on my show or people that I consulted with or people that I met in the course of, of my career. I, I worked for some of the largest travel technology companies um, in the industry, and and now I'm a travel tech entrepreneur, turning you know the industry on its head, sure. and and so looking at those strategic relationships and how do you figure out um, you know because we do some things for personal reasons, right? For mm-hmm. our, the relationships that we need if we happen to ever get separated from the sure. company that we're with, and we do yeah. other strategic relationships really for the company's benefit. Yeah. So, And hopefully yeah. those two go together, by the way, right? I don't yeah, want to yeah, make absolutely. them mutually exclusive. Yeah. So talk absolutely. to me about strategic relationships. Yeah, I, and, you know, my, my premise in co-creation is that and a mentor once told me, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, <laughs> right? So none of us have all the answers, right? right. So, so the idea of co-creation is you cannot succeed in the future going at it alone. So how will you evolve yourself as an individual, your team, your organization through, as I said, fewer but really strategic relationships? So your question is a very logical one. How do you define a strategic relationship? To me, it really – and again, this has been my life's work for the last almost 20 years – you know, we have personal relationships, people that we like, warts and all. They're friends. They're they're exactly yeah. like us. And we, we're not sure. You know, they're very discretionary. We kind of pick and choose who we work with. But we're not sure how they may fit, you know, in our professional development and our professional success, right? right. And we have functional relationships we, we kind of put up with because we have to. Let's be honest. Some of our clients, right, right some of our colleagues, 
that they may not be discretionary. We may not pick who and choose who we work with, but but they're very relevant. They're kind of they're safe because of the context of our work together. Most people I meet have plenty of the first two. They, they get the first two. They have they don't have enough of these strategic relationships. Who, not but by what they say, but by what they do, demonstrate a vested interest in our success. They right. push us to think. They push us to uh, do things differently. They won't let us quote unquote wing it. Right? They hold us accountable. They, they, uh, you know, these are client relationships that tell you about an opportunity before it hits the you know street as an RFP. These are clients or or these are bosses. They'll pull you aside and say, "Listen, John, you're brilliant, but as long as you're abrasive, nobody's ever going to see that brilliance." Right? <laughs> these are people that through what they do genuinely demonstrate that they want to see us succeed. They want to they're right. rooting for us. They're 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 pushing us to to evolve. And those are the people, those are exactly the people you want to co-create with because I'm telling you there are some some co-create ideas are natural. Ever right. since business school, we've been taught to kind of hold our cards to our chest and you know, my weaknesses are none of your business and I'm certainly not about to tell you where my, my our skeletons are buried and <laughs> co-creation is about giving up a little bit of that control, giving up a little bit of yourself to right. and again, with a few people that are not going to judge you, <laughs> that that yeah. you really could bounce ideas off of is what if jointly we created something what if we jointly developed something what if we jointly went to this market opportunity and really captured it and capitalized on it together right right you know the next chapter david of your book uh talks about the stages of the customer experience journey and i Mm. i am right in the throes of mapping (laughs) this out and we're in a very unique space because we have a really a three-sided marketplace where we're selling our product to one company who has systems that they're embedding our technology into, they have a customer base, and then that customer has the end traveler because, again, our product has to do with travel. So, you know, mapping out this this whole customer journey and this the, the customer experience with us, and are they going to get confused by our B2B brand because sure. it's not the same as the B2C brand, this this whole thing of co-creating with other people and getting their input is is new to me as an entrepreneur because I'm used to yeah. thinking it and then it comes yep. out my fingers and the next thing you know you've got a designed website right, right. and so yeah. I'm having to stop and co-create with my team right which is yep. kind of two discussions yep. here but but let's start sure. with the customer experience journey yeah. how how do we effectively map that out Sure. So what we've, what I found out in, in, in interviewing, like I said, 100 executives for this thing and looking at a lot of very different businesses, Jacob, what we found out is, and, and, I've, and I've illustrated in the book for, for your audience, um, if you think of the infinity sign, in, in almost inevitably in every industry, in every ecosystem, customers really start at the center of that infinity sign with evaluation. Think about our own lives, right? We're always evaluating, right? My car's got too many miles on it. My house is not big enough, right? And, and, and we're always evaluating kind of our needs and wants. As we move to the, to the left of that sign, the top of it is really about discovery. We discover kind of what, what's working, what's not working, what do we think we want, and delineating what we want versus what we need. And then as we kind of come to the left side of that infinity sign, we consider our options. 
right? Should I buy? Should I lease? Should I buy a new car versus a used car? B2B, should I use cloud services or build my own data center? Every facet of that, we're kind of going through that, that consideration phase, if you will. Then guess what? We always come back to evaluation. Next, we go to the right side of the infinity sign. On top of it is we buy. And I tell every one of my clients, the relationships start after they buy. Right. Because as they buy, they start to validate, did I, did I really do a good job in discovery and consideration? And then they start to use it. They use your product. They use your service. They use your information. They use your insights. And guess what? They can always come back to evaluation. Right. So that, you know, for a long time, and again, I cut my teeth in technology sales and sales management. And for a whole bunch of years, we've been talking about the way we sell. It's time to reverse that lens and really think about the way our target audiences buy. And again, not just product or services, but information right. and credibility and repute, right? And if you create on-ramps along that journey for them to learn from you, to benefit from your unique insights, to gain some independent perspective from what you add, what happens is you start to really build a brand for, you know, Chicky is the go-to people for this unique travel technology, right? Right. And they start to perceive a really unique value proposition that you're not pushing. The original title for this book was was Pull because there's push all around us, right? Push marketing, <laughs> right. push advertising, push management, push leadership, push, push, push. So finally, I, I keep asking people, have you ever tried pushing a rope? It just <laughs> It doesn't work. But if you try to pull, if you try to create gravity, if you try to become an object of interest, those who matter, and we can't be everything to everybody, those who get it, those who matter, will seek you out. So the brand, your value proposition, and where you fit in their journey all aim collectively to create that customer experience. And if you focus on building exceptional customer experiences, you'll consistently set yourself apart from your competitive peers. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, and I love that diagram. It really helps. And and the thought about creating those on-ramps uh, is, is really a very clever visual way to think about it because when you look at the infinity loop, it, it is a closed loop. Mm. And, uh, you know, getting into that loop and into the minds of the customer, um, you know, is – really a part of that challenge. So so talking about co-creating ahead, right, and, and really being ahead of the pack, uh, you talk about leading through provocation, which is, <laughs> is very provocative, David. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and, and, and again, it's one of those that, that, you know, if you ask almost anybody, when you ask about provocation, our current political climate aside, right? Everybody <laughs> inevitably thinks of schoolyard bullies or they think right. of in your face or they think of, you know, people that, that, you know, shock jocks and people that do things just to kind of provoke. In my research, I found um, leaders who are challenging the status quo uh, are often, often doing it through purposeful, provocative leadership. And my definition is is one of tenacity. Mm-hmm. Chicky, it's one of just resilience. It's one yeah. of, uh, again, just sheer determination and resolve to see this evolution happen. And and in the book, again, I, I've got a ton of good examples, but one of them is um, 
Kevin Plank. Kevin Plank, for your audience who may not know who he is, CEO of Under Armour. And this guy was a University of Maryland football player, and he hated the way his cotton T-shirts felt sweaty under all that football gear, right? And that's where the moisture-wicking kind of shirts and technology came from, and God bless them. They're, they're now a $4 billion company and doing really well, right? So interviewing him for this book, you know, he talked about one of his biggest challenges been in the last, you know, 18 months or so, he has spent uh, close to a billion dollars, would it be, uh, acquiring three different technology companies. And, and he said one of his biggest challenges was convincing the internal team, convincing his board of, of why this investment made sense. And it'd be, it's kind of perplexing to think why would an athletic, for all intents and purposes, an athletic clothing company invest billion dollars in three technology companies? Well, right. the, 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 the result is he has amassed one of the biggest online digital communities of people who exercise. So now his team can see when people exercise, where they go to exercise, how long they exercise, what they wear to exercise. And, wow. and they're, they're picking up on some incredible um, consumer behaviors. Again, not just what people say in some stale survey, but actually what they do and where they do it and how they do it. And guess what? That, those insights are now driving product development. They're driving merchandising. They're dri with a high degree of confidence, these people now know what products will sell more effectively in what area. And it isn't just gut feel. It's data-driven. And he is, steward, he is, he is really the, the steward of that ship, not by gut feel, not by intuition, not by some crystal ball, but through predictive analytics. That's and that is a result of purposeful... <laughs> provocative leadership. Exactly, exactly. Well, I can also see that you uh, interviewed or, or perhaps have consulted uh, with Travelport, which is very interesting because I yes. was, uh, first of all, I uh, as a part of my corporate career, one of my last corporate jobs was with WorldSpan, which was a company that was acquired by Sendent, who uh, later changed their name to Travelport. And I was the subject matter expert to the private equity company that worked with Sendent to acquire Galileo, which was the mm. first the first part of their um, you know their their company roll up. And so, you know, I'm curious because you, you're talking about a very, very mature B2B industry. Mm. Uh, for those who don't know, Travelport is one of the systems uh, that are used by travel agencies, and they've got a number of different brands in the marketplace, uh, Galileo and Apollo and WorldSpan. And what they do is they provide this technology to, uh, again, a third party, a travel agency, and you know, travel agencies aren't known for innovation. Um, GDSs, Global Distribution System Companies, which is the category that they fall into, also are not known for innovation. So, so what was your take on what sure. they're doing with their um, lab accelerator? Yeah, so so um, Sharon Polis is a, is an Emory Emory friend, and she's director of America's Marketing. She she was we've kind of stayed in touch. She was kind enough to invite me to speak on, on co-create at, at one of their America's meeting. And as I got to know them and more recently they've hired a, a very seasoned Microsoft executive, Fiona Shanley, who's now their chief customer and marketing officer. But as you said, GDS is traditionally, you know, very mature company in a very mature industry. And, and several years ago, uh, they, they literally created this idea of travel port labs. 
and 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 Nathan Bobbin now runs that out in Denver. And what what they want to do is is a engage kind of early, uh, really innovative, if not disruptive, I concepts. And that's what a lot of these things are. Is, is you think of a startup mode, they're, they're they're science projects. They don't know what they want to be when they grow up. They don't know how they're going to make money. They don't know where they're going. But right. but Travelport says, you know, instead of watching all this happen to us. One of the things we want to do is we want to we want to participate. We want to, in essence, co-create, uh, you know, the the future of of the evolution of travel. And and right. by incubating these ideas, by supporting them, by giving them access to resources and their travel agency kind of network and their relationships, they're basically helping these startups kind of prove their concepts. And 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 again, part of it is this sexy idea of let's build an innovation lab, let's build an innovation hub. And a lot of companies kind of try to do this. Right. Um, and, and, and Travelport has even done some acquisitions of its own. And I think they're, they're another company that, that are really trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up, right? So how mm-hmm. does the story evolve? You know, what facet of travel, unique value add they're going to continue to bring to that kind of travel agency world? But but I found the labs to be a, a really clever way to kind of get their finger in the pulse of what's happening. Uh, they realize it's very difficult for large, and you brought it up, large companies, large enterprises, even with a lot of resources, to really innovate because a lot of them have built great execution boxes. So yeah. Travelport Labs is a great place for them. To, it's almost like their, their test bed. It's almost right. an opportunity for them to figure out, hey, does this concept, does this idea, does this – does it have you know scalability? Does it have real impact in into what their clients and their distribution channels are trying to do? Right. So so taking that to the next level, um, as we begin moving forward and leading, then it's time to move upward. It's mm. time to generate that spiral of growth because some of these <laughs> companies that you talk about in the book have have uh, you know. They're very mature businesses that have been around for a while, and and they don't have that kind of rapid growth that you can experience in an earlier mm. stage company. So how do you how do you turn your focus upward, and what defines that spiral of growth? Sure, sure, great, great, great question. You know, a lot of companies um, do surveys. They have, a lot of them have reports. A lot of them have dashboards, and again, check it. in my in my conversation, in my review of kind of what they're doing, how they're doing it. I would submit a lot of organizations are running, a lot of leaders are running their organization based on what I call lagging indicators. Think about it. The report you look at uh, this this month, this quarter, this of what you've is the results of what you've done in the past. So so you're in essence driving, looking through the rearview mirror. Yeah. And what I what I advocate in this chapter, what what I believe that the next really exponential growth is going to come from is when leaders and organizations start to more proactively, more intentionally, more strategically get their fingers on the pulse of what I call leading drivers. So if you think of um, uh, sentiment analysis. Right, and, and in the book, I talk about this idea of net promoter score. Right, so net right. promoter score has been around for years, and and I have a love hate relationship with net promoter score. Right, it will tell you the what, <laughs> not the why. Right, unless right. you start to analyze why they chose those numbers. And again, for your audience, it's a very simple. It's one question. Right, based on your experience with us, would you recommend us? 
right? And, and 0 through 6 is actually negative, 7 and 8 is neutral, only 9 and 10 is positive. And the score is you, you subtract the, the negative from the positive and you get a percentage score, right? The, right? the problem is the score itself tells you what's happening. But unless you go and analyze the text, so, so when a customer says the experience was fine, they're not really raving about you. Right? That's, it's a good opportunity. It's a good opportunity for you to dig in and find out why they said that and why they feel that way. And more importantly, do something about it. And, and I got to tell you in your audience a quick story. right? So, so whenever you and I check out of a hotel, what do they typically ask us when we're checking out? How was your stay? How was your stay? What do most of us say? Fine. Fine. <laughs> and that is like zero value add, right? It's like going into exactly. a retail shop and somebody says, can I help you? <laughs> yeah, get away right. from me. <laughs> so, 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 so what, if, what if at that checkout they asked, what's the one thing? Is there, is there one thing about your stay that we could have done differently to improve your experience? Right. Or... I have, a, I have a brother who who's spent the uh, last 30 years with one of the hotel brands, and, and we've had this great conversation. If our check-in goes really well, we'll almost excuse any other mishappening, right? Yeah. Conversely, if the check-in doesn't go well, we'll find an excuse to complain about something, right? So, <laughs> so again, I don't know about you. After I check in, I, I go to my room, and a lot of times they have these TVs, and they say, welcome, you know, Mr. Noor, right? What if that... TV screen, or even maybe perhaps before I left the front desk, in a very simple way, a mechanism, and I've seen these tablets that ask, how was your check-in? Green smile, yellow mediocre, red mad, right? Right. And I immediately gave you that feedback. And by the way, the front desk manager or somebody in position of authority immediately took action. Mr. Noor, I understand you just checked in. And from your input, um, it seems like it didn't go as well as we both had hoped. Right. What happened and how can we – if you can get your finger on the pulse of what's happening immediately and do something about it, you have a dramatically better chance to improve that experience than a day or two or three later when I'm leaving. Right. Because when I'm leaving, you can't do anything about that check-in. But the, and this is the example of and again, you know, hospitality brands look at customer satisfaction and they look at TripAdvisor and they look at all this other past data. Very few are reacting, are behaving in real time, where they have the highest opportunity to do something about it. Right. Right. So the spiral of growth is going to come from, and again, I give the readers several insights into uh, kind of reputation, into engagement, into social, into a lot of other leading drivers um, to start to predict, to mm -hmm. start to react to what can we do to fix that scenario, what can we do to enhance that scenario at, at, in, in as close to real time as possible, not after the fact, not after right. something's happened. And then, of course, that leads you right into creating exceptional experiences because you've <laughs> now got the information and creating sure. an exceptional organization. Sure. David, I'd like you to fast forward just a little bit to the Co-Create Canvas and because this is, a, again, a very practical way uh, to, to lay out your plan and, and where do you go from here. Uh, sure. 
And you, you've got sure. so many tools in the book, um, mm. you know, that, that help you visualize. Mm. And I am such a, I'm a huge fan of, of visualizing a plan rather than what we used to do. And I, I mean, again, I made a lot of money writing business plans, but, you know, we always like would hold it when we were done and say, hmm, good plan, right? Because it was thick and heavy, but nobody would ever read it, right? Sure. So sure. your co-create canvas is really yep. an amazing tool. Yep. Um, again, very kind of you. Um, and, and I and I talk about, uh, you know, books are not just books. They really are a, a journey of our experiences, right? So the missus and I were, were doing some renovation at the house. By the way, uh, this single most expensive phrase in renovation is while we're at it, right? Because while we're at it, why don't we move that wall and this kitchen and those appliances, and next thing you know, I'm going to be working till I'm 90. Um, so, so, you know, we hired an architect, and, and of course, architects use, uh, you know, blueprints as a canvas to, to help yeah. you imagine kind of how this room would look differently. And our builder did something fascinating that, that absolutely stuck with me. He got a piece of... Uh, almost like vellum, right? This clear see-through, and he taped it to top on top of the plan. And then he said, what if there was one part of it that we weren't crazy about, and you don't want to go back to the architect and redo all that. And in real time, on this overlay piece with a pencil, he kind of started drawing a different kind of outcome, right? What if we took this part and we made it a little different and we kind of expanded this? And it dawned on me, what if there was a canvas where two parties, and, and let's just start with two, right? Two really strategic relationships were able to lay the foundation of their relationship, the impact from their relationship. They were able to jointly create a product, a service, a go-to-market opportunity. So we kind of lay the, you know, really create a value proposition, design that value proposition. And then I don't want to just leave it there. What has to happen for us to jointly go execute it, right? So there are key roles from both sides, an executive, a strategist, and somebody's going to lead the execution. Uh, there are, you know, 10 steps on this canvas, everything from let's really capture where we've had past impact together all the way through what could be our joint differentiation, what, what are some of the metrics and milestones we're going to capture, to what should be our communication preferences, right? What's the best way for us to communicate our respective progress and the entire canvas starts with is predicated by a common vision a common mission or a common enemy right and if you think of those as the lighthouse it really drives our why right simon sinek talks about you know your why this is this is really visionary leadership combined with visual thinking and storytelling to transform where the organization is to how it must co-create its evolution. Mm. David, this has just been uh, amazing. And, and again, this this book, uh, you started off saying it's not for everyone. I mean, I actually think it is, but uh, it is it – is, uh, this is meat and potatoes. This is this is not uh, a little sushi appetizer, right? If you're into <laughs> light business books, this probably is not for you. But I am telling you, if you want to transform uh, yourself from where you are to where you need to be, this is the roadmap. So we have been talking uh, to David Knorr. Uh, the name of the book is Co-Create How Your Business Will Profit from Innovative 
and strategic collaboration. David, it has been a delight. Can you tell people the one place that they can go to find out more information, to get in touch with you? Sure. Um, where do you want to send them? Yeah, very kind of you to have me. I appreciate it. And if, if your audience just goes to norgroup, N-O-U-R group.com, uh, we're, we're in the process of revamping that website, but that's probably the best place to learn about me, my work, connect with me on, on various social channels, and certainly learn more about more about the Co-Create book as well. Well, again, I really appreciate your time. It has just been fascinating. So uh, for those who are listening to us today, next week we are going to be uh, talking about happiness. Unlocking Happiness at Work, we are going to have as our guest Jennifer Moss. And uh, again, David, thank you so much for joining us. And for those who want more information about the Game Changer Network, it's thegamechanger.network. Thanks again for joining us, and we will see you again next week. Go out and change your game today. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration innovation with Chickie Fitzgerald.